Throughout the first Wednesdays of our time together here in Wednesday worship, we've been talking about this book, uh, True Crimes of the Bible, and sort of seeing the crimes that have been committed in the Bible, and, and then seeing God's reaction to those crimes and lessons that we can learn from what we see. Last week, we covered the first murder in the Bible of Cain, and tonight we'll see another murder, someone who was maybe just a little bit too eager to serve the Lord. Do you know that over-eagerness? Maybe it looks a little bit like this. Do you have people... Uh, you can remember from either grade school or even high school or maybe even now in your classes? Do you have, or maybe are you that person that raises your hand, make sure the professor knows you know the answer, just call on me, I've got it. Yeah, sometimes students can be a little over-eager when it comes to answering questions. I thought about some other over-eager people and I couldn't help but think if you've ever seen Parks and Rec of Leslie Nope. She's a little bit over-eager to serve the citizens of Pawnee with parks and recreation. And sometimes her exuberance spills over into rash decisions and she gets herself into a little bit of trouble. And then, of course, I think most of you probably know this girl from the memes, but I, I thought I, I like this one, a little over-eager. I sewed my name on your shirts in case you forget you're taken. Maybe just a little over-eager, right? And you know what that can result in if you're overeager. It can result in a little bit of trouble because you've gotten out in front of where maybe you should be. That's really the story of, of Moses tonight in Exodus chapter 2. And it's interesting because the murder that Moses commits is a little bit different than the murder that Cain committed. And therefore, God's reaction, I think, is a little bit different as well. But we're going to explore Exodus chapter 2 a little bit tonight uh, to see this idea that Moses too, one of the real members or of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, still is also a murderer. Let's take a look at what led up to the crime? This is Exodus chapter 2, verses 11, or verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So I got to take you back just a couple of verses into Exodus chapter 2 to Moses' birth. And, and, and maybe you can remember some of these things if you remember the story from Exodus chapter 2. If not, you can read it for yourself in really chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus. What happens is the Israelites are growing so quickly and getting so numerous in Egypt that the Pharaoh, the king, actually makes an edict that every baby boy is to be killed, thrown into the Nile River. That's the time in which Moses is born. And so his parents hide him. For three months, they're able to hide him, which to me is kind of amazing that you can hide an infant for three months. But when the time comes that Moses can't be hidden anymore, do you remember that his mom puts him in a basket, coats it with pitch, floats it in the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket and takes Moses as her own? And then she's given back, he's given back, she gives him back to Moses' mom to actually nurse him and take care of him until he's old enough to bring his life to the palace. Here's what's interesting. We're told in the New Testament, in both Acts chapter 7, which is Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin, and Hebrews chapter 11, that great faith chapter of the Bible, that Moses' parents knew that he was no ordinary child. 
Now, I think most parents probably think that at first when their children are born, but, but this was something different. And how God let Moses' parents know that he was not ordinary, the Bible doesn't tell us. But Moses knew too, at least it seems as he did. As he did. Because Hebrews 11 tells us another thing about Moses, that as he was growing up, he decided that he wasn't going to enjoy the pleasures of sin being an Egyptian, but instead he took the side of his people, the Israelites. And that's what we see happening in chapter 2, verse 11. We see an eager Moses, ready to defend God, defend his people. And when he sees a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian master, he thinks, this is my chance. This is my chance to serve God and become this not ordinary person that I've been set out to be. Let's see what happens. Verses 12 and 13. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Moses killed the Egyptian slave master. And there are people that will ask, Could this, is it possible that this wasn't really murder, that, that this killing was somehow justified? They even use the Hebrew language. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a little bit to make the defense that Moses was only coming to the aid of someone who might have been put to death if he hadn't stopped it. And that's certainly possible. But do you know who wrote these words of Exodus chapter 2? Moses, the guy who committed the murder. And maybe as I read those couple of verses, you kind of picked up on the things that Moses said to show that he knew that what he was doing was maybe not right. Looking this way and that. He's kind of looking around, making sure the coast is clear, and, and, and then, then he'll commit the murder, right? And, and after he commits the murder, you caught what he does next. He buries the body in the sand to cover up, to make sure nobody knows what happened. And then we're going to read in the next verses that he, he's almost surprised when he finds out that people know about the murder. He thought he had taken great pains to make sure that it was secret, and then people knew anyway. And I thought maybe there was a lesson in that for us tonight. Because I think all of us would love to think that some, at least, of our sins go unnoticed. You know, the ones that are in our minds and in our hearts. The ones that happen in the privacy of our dorm rooms or apartments or homes that we think don't hurt anybody else. And then we remember, God still knows. And it's scary to think about God's omniscience, that there's not a thing that I can think, not a thing that I can do that escapes God's notice. And the same was true of Moses as well. All right, a little bit of Hebrew for you tonight. I won't go too deep into detail, but there are a bunch of different words in Hebrew that can mean kill or murder. And two of them are used in the text. They're actually the first two on the screen. So when Moses comes upon the man who's being beaten, the Hebrew uses the root nakah. And nakah means to strike. It means to strike with an object, maybe a whip or a club or maybe someone's own fists. And so ultimately it can also mean to kill. And as a matter of fact, when we're told in verse 12 that Moses killed the Egyptian, it's the same exact word, nakah. It's only later when... We'll read these verses in just a minute. When the Hebrews 
Moses' fellow countrymen are recounting what happened, that they use a more common word that means killing, the word hareg. And that in verse 14 and 15 is the word that's used twice and then again by Pharaoh. What's interesting about all of this is it's different even than a third word that the Hebrew has for murder, and that's ratzach. And that's the word that's in the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. So here's what people think. Well, well, well maybe, maybe Moses came upon this person and his life was in danger, and so Moses rising to his defense was really a justified killing. But the New Testament helps us out with this. And if you read Stephen's speech, his defense before the Sanhedrin, he talks a lot about Moses. And he uses the word very clearly in the Greek that Moses came upon someone being beaten. And then he uses a different word when he says that Moses killed the Egyptian. And so there's no question what way those words should be translated in context. Here's what Stephen tells us ultimately, and it's kind of interesting. He says, Moses thought that if he came to the defense of this man, if he killed the Egyptian, then all of the Israelites would realize that God had brought him to their defense. And they would embrace him as the one who was going to lead them out of Egypt. Only that's not quite what happened. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. This is his fellow Hebrew saying to him, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. As you think about those words, you see the rejection that Moses faced. That's ultimately the point of Stephen's defense, that even as Moses was ready to lead the people of Israel out, the people of Israel weren't ready for Moses, and so they rejected him. And then Moses has to panic because he's a threat to Pharaoh. He's killed an Egyptian, and now Pharaoh wants to kill him. Moses does the only thing he can think of. He flees. He heads to the desert of Midian, and for 40 years, Moses is in that desert leading the flocks of his father-in-law, his future father-in-law. You might think, well, why was that the way God let this all play out? Well, do you remember when God finally comes to call Moses again 40 years later in the burning bush, and Moses is now humbled and isn't doesn't think he's quite ready to lead the people, but, but God convinces him, I'll be with you. And, and Moses goes back to lead the people of Israel out of G Egypt. Do you remember that they spent 40 years in that exact same wilderness that Moses had been tending flocks in? You see what God's doing? He's preparing Moses for the job that he has for him to do. He's making sure that Moses is ready to do what he needs him to do. It's a good reminder, isn't it? that God's plan and our plan don't always line up and that when God's plan won't unfold quite in the way that we think it's going to, it's no reason for us to panic because God knows the plans he has for us. God knows exactly the best path for us. And maybe it's easy to question if God really does know that until we look at the cross because that's where you see how much God loves you. He was willing to send his only son to take nails in his hands and feet for you and for me. He was willing to sacrifice Jesus so that you and I can stand before him holy and blameless. 
That same God wants what's best for you. He wants to guide your life on the path that he knows will bring you to exactly what he needs you to accomplish for him. One last thing. I think this is an amazing thing. Moses had to flee from Pharaoh because of fear. And sometimes our sins can feel that way too, but we don't have to run away from God. We get to run to the God who says, I already took care of those sins on the cross. A couple of takeaways today. Number one, we trust God's plans for our lives are better than our own because he has proven his love. That's why Solomon could write this in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Number two, though it may seem like he has, God never forgets about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And one last thing. Jeremiah said it this way, he forgives our sins and remembers our wickedness no more. The one thing God forgets is that you have committed any sins because they're paid for, taken care of by your Savior Jesus. Throughout scripture, there is an expression that happens from time to time that God remembers people. And I don't know how your memory is. This is sometimes what people used to use as a memory hitch. They'd tie something around their finger and that would, oh, yeah, I have something to do. I don't know how you always keep it all straight. Your work schedule, your school schedule, all the assignments that you have to finish. And maybe if you're like me, there's been a time or two where you've let something slip your mind. You know that panic when you're like, oh, how could I have forgotten that? Right? Our memories aren't always as good as we'd like them to be. Maybe some of you are like, I've never forgotten anything good for you. The rest of us can understand what it's like to forget things. But God never forgets. He never forgets about you or me. And that phrase in the Bible when it says God remembered happens when Noah's on the ark. We're told God remembered Noah. And then it happens when Rachel is having no children for her husband Jacob and we're told God remembered her. Hannah, when she was barren, was also that phrase, God remembered. And you might think, well, was God up in heaven like totally oblivious to what was going on? And all of a sudden he was like, oh, well, that's right, Noah's still on the ark. No. God knew. And that phrase, God remembered, is God's way of saying he was about to do something special for the people that he remembered. And that's you. God remembers you every single day. He knows that midterms are coming up. He knows if you're struggling with other things in school, with a class, with people. God knows. And he's got a plan for you. A plan that you can trust. A plan to take you all the way to him forever in heaven. That's the God who never forgets. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a blessing that we have you to have that plan for our lives. We know that, that when those plans that we make don't always work out, that, that you are the one who still guides our steps. Thank you for your plan of salvation, the plan that sent Jesus to this world to, to take our place, to die for us, to rise again, because that guarantees our place with you in heaven is secure. As we make our plans in this life, bless us according to the plan that you have for us and then, then guide us through this life to the joy of heaven with you. As midterms are coming up, we ask you uh, to limit the anxiety and, and the stress that our students might feel. 
Remind them to find their comfort in you and the promise that, that you will always be with them and that you have the, their best interests in mind as they see your love for them in Jesus. We pray all of these things in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.